Okay, let's open our Bibles. We are continuing our series in Acts, and we are in Acts chapter uh, 10. So I think we're all aware that we live in a very divided world. We see in the news at the moment between Russia and Ukraine, between leaders all around the world, people vying for position, who's on which side. We live in a divided world. Close to home, we think of there's conservatives, there's labor, there's the left, the right, there's the rich, the poor, there's the haves, the have-nots. It seems at every point we want to create distinctions and division and separation. It appears to me that actually unity is a very rare thing. That when you find it, you go, that, that is beautiful. We celebrate that. But how often do we find it? We might think of these global uh, divisions and actually divisions close to home. Like, where are those bridges going to be? Where are those divisions going to be bridged? Who's going to bring unity between warring parties? 2,000 years ago, it was a very divided world as well. There were divisions between nations, between sexes, between classes, between worldviews, and between religions. And in our story today, we see the expansion of the gospel. It's a really, really exciting story. But we see the expansion of the gospel, not just uh, across geographical uh, barriers, but we see it in this instance from Jews to Gentiles, so between people groups. People groups who, who didn't prior to this mix or socialize together or when, were, there was basically division between them. We see unity coming about. And as we see in the sweep of Acts, this is all uh, in the context of the Great Commission. The Great Commission that Jesus has given his disciples and all disciples, that in your going, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. And then he said to his disciples, be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the context that we see unfolding in Acts as chapter on chapter goes. The gospel is going out. And here we are, and we're encountering the gospel going out to the Gentiles. Let's read it. Okay. So chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter, he is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
I always find that funny that maybe he was just really tired, <laughs> you know, just exhausted, getting super hungry. But anyway, he fell into a trance. Um, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. 
by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Father, we want everything that you have for us from this passage. Today, we, Lord, come expectant that just as you uh, filled Cornelius and these Gentiles with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we come today thirsty for more of you. Thirsty, Jesus, that you might send your Holy Spirit to us. Jesus, we pray that you do that today. Please speak to us, Lord, wherever we're at. Help us stir that thirst in us, we pray. Amen. Okay, so here in this story, we've got two characters representing two groups of people. So we've got Cornelius representing the Gentiles, and we've got Peter representing the Jews. And here we see the beginning of the Gentiles being welcomed into the people of God. We see God creating one new humanity, as it talks about in Ephesians 2. It starts with just a few. There's a handful of people that Cornelius has gathered together to hear from Peter. But this is really like a crack in a dam. That If you see a dam wall and there's a huge mass of water behind it, even just a small crack in the dam will let a little bit of water through. Actually, it's not before, it doesn't take too long for that crack to get bigger and bigger and the flood comes as a result of it. That is, this story is that little crack, and then the floodgates come. The gospel goes out to the Gentiles. Okay, so first of all, we've got Cornelius. He's there in Caesarea. It's 30 miles north of current-day Tel Aviv, just to give you a bit of uh, context. Uh, he's a centurion, which means that he looks after about 100 men, 100 soldiers, so he's got a lot of responsibility. And he's described in this passage as a God-fearer. There are three types of Gentiles. You've got your, firstly, you've got your plain, run-of-the-mill Gentile, just all-out Gentile, probably doesn't believe in God, just living their own life, doing their own thing. No higher being necessarily to, to guide their way. Um, or if they do believe in God, they might believe in different gods to the God revealed in the Bible. You've then got, second, you've got a what's called a proselyte or more simply a convert, someone who has converted to Judaism. So they've seen maybe the Jews witnessing to them and they've said, yeah, I believe that is the God I want to worship. So they're all in. If they were male, they would have got circumcised. So there was a, there was a cost there to becoming a Jew. Thirdly, you've got the God fear and that was this guy Cornelius. So he would have given to the poor, as it's described. He would have prayed. He was part in 
part not in, but he would have given himself in a sense, knew there was a God there, feared him, but wasn't 100% all in, willing to convert to Judaism. We see here actually that none of that saved Cornelius. Giving to the poor, doing good things, none of it saved him. And actually it's the same for us. The gospel is that nothing else other than Jesus saves us. So no amount of uh, doing good, no amount of being good to the environment, getting solar panels, you know, it's all the talk at the moment. Do you get solar panels, get an air source heat pump? No amount of, of, you know, that is going to save you. We need Jesus Christ. So that's Cornelius, a Gentile, God-fearer. We've then got this second character called Peter, and he represents the Jews. And the Jews and the Gentiles, they never mixed They never mix. Gentiles were basically non-Jews, just to put it in a bit of context. This deal of the Jews and Gentiles never mixing was clearly shown in the life of Peter. And we see it actually here in the story that Peter was, in a sense, trying to get his head around being sent to a Gentile. He's willing in the end, which is great. But there's this deal of, no, how can I go to someone and, and go into the house of someone who is unclean? Peter had had essentially a whole lifetime ingrained with this, uh, this pride of being a Jew. Legalism, intolerance towards other nations, those who he might have deemed as not blessed, not the, the chosen race, the chosen uh, nation. Peter, to put it in context as well, Peter wouldn't have had a Gentile in his home. He couldn't have drunk milk drawn out by a Gentile uh, or bread and oil prepared by a Gentile to name a whole host of other things that would have kept these people separate. In Ephesians 2, it talks about it being a, a dividing wall of hostility. That over the years, this wasn't just like two peaceful nations just choosing to live separate. There was a dividing wall of hostility between them. Far from the one new humanity that God was bringing about. So before God breaks down this dividing wall through Jesus, which we'll see in a minute, uh, God starts to prepare Peter's heart He starts to enable him to take baby steps, and we read about that in Acts chapter uh, 8, so only a couple of chapters before, where the gospel goes out to Samaria. So it's, it's been in Jerusalem, Judea, and now it's heading out to Samaria. So it's going further and further afield from the, the homeland uh, where it started. And in Samaria, you've got the Samaritans. So these, these guys are not 100% Jewish. They're not 100% Gentile. They're, they're half. They're, they're half and half. They're uh, over time, basically, they were, so they were Jews originally, they, in Samaria, intermarried with the Assyrians, um, and the Jews just couldn't understand, they couldn't get their head around how they'd um, essentially separated themselves from the Jewish God. But they had adopted beliefs that uh, were not biblical, they had worshipped other gods, and they'd essentially separated themselves. But they still had this Jewish heritage. Um, so, that in a sense, they were partly between the Jews and the Gentiles that we read about in chapter 10. So the gospel goes to uh, the Samaritans, um, and after, it's, after this happens, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, um, and Peter prays for them, sorry, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's this moment where uh, Peter realizes that actually God is 
doing a work amongst people who are not Jewish. The gospel is going out. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. God is doing something, and Peter gets on board. It's amazing, but he takes these baby steps. Half Jews, half Gentiles, the Samaritans to start with. Moving on to uh, the Gentiles here in chapter 10. For me, it's, uh, over the years, it's begged the question, this hostility, this separation. Maybe you're thinking, it, was, this, uh, was this God's plan all along? Was this God's plan to keep them uh, separate? Why did this hostility even come about? Well, God's design has always been for inclusion, not for exclusion. It's always been to draw in, not to push away. The Gentiles were actually included in the promise that God gave to Abraham. He said to Abraham, through you, all the nations will be blessed. That it was never the plan just for Abraham and the Jewish people to keep the good news uh, to themselves. It was always to be a shining light to the nations. It was always to go out. And yet over time, what they'd done is they'd created a separation between them and the other nations. They'd put in a whole host of other social laws and social taboos and layered these on top of the, the biblical commands that God had given them to the point where the Bible doesn't say that a Jew can't go into the house of a Gentile. But they had thought that, well, because there's this clean, unclean deal, actually, we're just going to put all these extra laws in place. The Jews were to be a witness to the world. This hostility, completely man-made. God's desire was for it to go out to the nations. That was always his plan, always his desire. So sin entered the world, caused this dividing wall of hostility. And Jesus, thankfully, has broken it down. Any Gentiles in the room? Hands up. That's all of us, isn't it? Probably. 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 (laughs) Um, Thankfully, Jesus, through the cross, has broken down that dividing wall of hostility such that we can all be brought in. This is good news. So God does this by taking one of the most ardent Jews and a willing Gentile, and he brings them together. Notice that he brings them together in a home. Isn't that often where division is overcome? Welcoming someone into your home. Maybe someone who's not like you, someone who's different from you, maybe even someone who's offended you. Welcoming them in. Come in, let's talk about this. God brings unity through it. We've been talking this last term about this deal of round the table, of wanting to encourage all of us to have people in and out of our homes, to welcome people around, maybe just for a cup of tea or, or a meal, but to have people round our table. It's where we can uh, hear people's stories. We can hear where people are coming from, their challenges, their struggles, the things that they believe, the, their experiences in the past. We can share our stories Round the table is a great place to do that. It's been wonderful to hear stories of people welcoming in neighbors and colleagues and friends uh, round the table. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep stirring that amongst us. For Peter and Cornelius at this meeting in this home, 
we see firstly that God shows no favoritism in salvation. Secondly, we see that the Gentiles are filled with the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we see that the Gentiles are baptized in water. We're going to look at the first two. I know Steve uh, preached last week a bit on baptism in water, so do listen uh, back to that because I won't have time to cover that uh, today. So Acts chapter 10, verse 34, uh, we read this. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So salvation comes to all through Jesus Christ. Every nation is welcomed in its one new humanity. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul describes this wonderful dynamic of the Gentiles being welcomed in. And when we read this, let's not read this as, as you know, this was just something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is, this is, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is us being welcomed in. This is our history. This is, this is us being welcomed in to the people of God. So let's read from verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of, of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Amen, yes. This is wonderful that God welcoming people in to the people of God. We have been welcomed in. We are partakers in the people of God. And God is building us up into this most holy temple. There was a time when we were far from Christ. Let's never forget, that if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, let's never forget that time when we were far away from Christ. Let's regularly remember what Jesus has done from taking us from that place 
to being adopted as a son and a daughter in the family of Christ. It took a perfect representative there, 100% God, 100% man, willing to die in our place to be our representative, to be our mediator, to take our sin, to take our shame, to take the punishment that we deserved. And God saves. God saves no matter your past. God saves no matter your struggles, no matter what your sexual orientation is, no matter what your past history is. God saves. God saves. Don't count yourself out. Don't ever count a friend out or a family member out. God saves. So we've all been welcomed in. None of us, if we've accepted Jesus, are foreigners and strangers. Yeah. It makes me think, obviously, I'm sure it does for all of us, just the situation going on in Ukraine. Over three million displaced people within a matter of weeks. We have experienced the hospitality of God. That's him welcoming us round his table. What the gospel of grace does is that it transforms our hearts and it makes us want to welcome people in. We've got the opportunity now as a country, haven't we, to think about how do we respond. We've got the opportunity as a church, as Christians, as believers, to think about how do we respond to people who are coming into this nation. Maybe for some of you it might be signing up to say, yeah, we'd happily have some refugees in our home. Jude and I have signed up. I'm sure maybe some of you have as well. an opportunity to welcome people into our homes. It's wonderful to extend hospitality to someone who might feel a stranger, but to welcome them into our home, round our table, such that they don't feel like a stranger in our nation. For others, it might be the opportunity to give money, to give financially. You can still give uh, through uh, Kings, and that money will go straight into churches that are on the ground trying to bring aid and help and see the gospel bear fruit um, in Ukraine and in the surrounding nations. So you can do that, uh, give a bank transfer uh, to Kings and just put Ukraine uh, plus your surname. Uh, all the giving information is up um, on the website. For others, you might be involved in community. You might see that actually in your life group. There might be a refugee welcomed in, and you can be part of that. You can be part of extending friendship and love and care and kindness. This is what it looks like to be one new humanity. It looks like taking down any sense of hostility or dividing walls that might erect themselves or that we might as a world erect taking those down just one person at a time by showing love, care, compassion for the person in front of us. That's what it looks like. 
in Galatians 3, says that there's neither Jew, this is speaking about salvation, it's not that these categories don't exist, it's talking about our salvation and our standing before Christ, that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One in Christ Jesus. So we've been welcomed in. The Gentiles are welcomed in here. Cornelius is welcomed in here. His family, his friends get to, got to experience the, the first welcoming in, the start of the floodgates. And then they experience something even greater, well, not necessarily even greater, but another part of the, the package of being welcomed in by God. And it says in, um, this is verse 44 onwards, that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all. I wonder if God was like, Peter, you're just going on for too long. Like, they're just breaking in in this moment. The Holy Spirit is so desired to, uh, well, Jesus so desired to pour out his spirit upon these Gentiles that he just broke in, broke in, poured himself Upon them, it says the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Another extension of this one new humanity, not just welcomed in through salvation, but welcomed in the full blessing of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Jews should have expected this. Back in Joel, it's prophesied, chapter 2, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, not just Jews, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. The, uh, the Jews see this fulfilled in, uh, well, we read about it in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, where the Jews are all gathered together and the Holy Spirit floods upon them and they experience um, the gospel being uh, spoken uh, in all of their different languages as they're gathered together. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit comes. We see it in chapter 8, as I mentioned before, with Samaria, with the Samaritans. The Holy Spirit falling upon them. And now we see it in Acts chapter 10, upon the Gentiles. Now you could think that this might be like a, a neat little package. So it's gone to the Jews, it's gone to uh, you know, half Jews, half Gentiles, and now it's gone to the Gentiles. Okay, we can sort of see that uh, maybe this was just validating the, the gospel work that's going uh, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But maybe from that point on, it just ceases. This deal of the Holy Spirit being a, uh, an empowering experience that we as Christians are to, uh, to seek and to thirst after uh, today. But then we read in chapter... 19 of Acts. We read this. It says that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, so they'd believed already. And now Paul is asking, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So Paul is expecting this deal of actually there's a difference between those two experiences. That you can actually believe without experiencing the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Although the Holy Spirit is obviously at work in bringing that salvation about. 
it goes on. They, they answered, no, we've, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, that, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were baptized in water, just dunked straight away. And then it says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had already gone to the Jews, the Gentiles. It's now going further. There's this, this deal of as the early church is, is being, becoming more, more and more established, that actually being filled and the Holy Spirit coming upon people is to be the norm of the experience of people coming to follow Jesus. But it's distinct from that point of salvation. I wonder if you're feeling a sense of thirst today. That these disciples, they were experiencing God in ways that they hadn't experienced him before. Speaking in tongues, prophesying, some of them praising God, worshipping God in, in ways that they had never experienced before. It seems that the Holy Spirit always gives boldness in speech. That if we look at these accounts of, people, of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, we see speech with the gift of tongues. We see an overflow of verbal praise in ways that they hadn't experienced before. And we see boldness to speak about Jesus. So even the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit does, it's not unique in the same way every single time. Who doesn't want more of those things? more boldness to speak about Jesus, an overflow of the heart to praise Jesus or the gift of tongues, this heavenly language where we can engage with God in a way that we can't express with our human understanding and words. Are you thirsty? This one new humanity in Christ is a spirit-filled people. The Holy Spirit flows forth from Jesus Christ. And to be his people is to be a thirsty people, thirsty for more of his empowering presence in our lives. And we're going to have an opportunity now to pray. And we're really... We're really praying that, that God would do what he wants to do amongst us. That it's not a pressure. It's not something that we orchestrate ourselves. Cornelius was saved by grace. His family was saved by grace. They didn't do anything special to receive this filling of the Holy Spirit. All by grace. As we come expecting that God might fill us, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. Come as a child. Come to your dad who loves you, 
Come thirsty, expecting him to lavish good gifts upon you. He loves you. Don't feel like you have to manufacture anything. But God loves it when we come to him thirsty. Should we stand?